Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Tammy McPherson is lovely, inside and out. In the world of fashion, she is known as much for her joyful, friendly, and outgoing nature as she is for her exquisite taste in clothing and her talent as a photographer. The Jamaican-born digital talent is the woman behind the website, All the Pretty Birds, and first got noticed back in 2006 when she was a budding street-style photographer, who had left her job as a lawyer for a hedge fund in New York and moved to Milan. While she was photographing all of the stylish guests attending the fashion shows, her fellow photographers had turned their cameras on Tamu because, well, she just naturally oozes from every pore in her body a modern chic style that most women would kill for. Over the years, Tamu has come out from behind the camera more and more, starring in photo shoots for a number of fashion magazines, acting as a host for industry events, collaborating with brands, and contributing to publications and websites like Glamour, Harper's Bazaar, Refinery29, and charming her over 2,000 Instagram followers with her IG stories and images. Tamu is an open book to her fans. She invites everyone to watch her take a dance class, prepare a healthy breakfast for her son, and travel vicariously with her to some of fashion's most glamorous events. All of which is to say, trying to pin Tamu down for an interview is a pretty tall order. For this podcast, we ended up setting up the mic in the backseat of her town car and chatted while we waited for our next fashion show to start. And fair warning, Tamu was a bit under the weather when we did this, but she was such a good sport and soldiered on, giving me a wonderful interview between her bouts of coughing. But that's Tamu for you. She will do anything for a friend. And in the world of fashion, everyone is her bestie. Tamu, thank you so much for doing this with me, sitting here in the back of the car between shows. I always love to spend time with you. <laughs> you sound so sexy with your voice. I know. This week, I'm giving it the most. I have a cold, but I'm giving it the most. <laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing. Well, I think the saying is I'm doing the most. I'm yes. giving it your all. I'm giving, my, I'm giving it my all. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Um, So let's go back to the beginning. You were born in Jamaica, and then you moved to the U.S. when you were six. Is that right? Yes. um, Like many other Jamaican families, my mother left Jamaica to go to New York and work. And when she saved up money to buy a house, she sent for me, and I went to live with her. Do you remember having any kind of culture shock or anything like that when you moved to the States when you were a child? Yeah, there were some adorable things that happened. For instance, the first day of school, my mom was like living her best life after, you know, in such a short period of kind of achieving everything she wanted to achieve. So she... (laughs) went full on my first day of school she made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and we don't I mean I'm sure we eat peanut butter and jelly in Jamaica but it wasn't something that we were eating for lunch Mm -hmm. so I went to school that day with my brown bag Mm -hmm. with my you know snack bag Mm -hmm. 
I had that sandwich and I, I think I starved. I think I went hungry because I just could not eat it. I do like it now. So, that, <laughs> so that's like just a small So thing. peanut butter is your reference for America's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Also, I moved just in time for the fall. The weather was definitely a shock to me. And I remember my grandpa buying me. It was like a popular puffer jacket that everybody had. Mm-hmm. It was like blue and then it had like the multicolored like panels in it. So that was like my other idea of like American winter. I found it so interesting to when I was reading up on you was that you your studies had nothing to do with anything to do with fashion. Kind of like me, I studied political science. You have a law degree, is that yeah, right? I'm, I'm JD MBA. And what happened is with these immigrant families, you move to a new country to make a better life for you and for your family and to give your family opportunities that don't exist in your own country. My entire life in my Jamaican community, in my West Indian community, everybody's parents encouraged them to go to grad school and it was like you had three things that you could do you go to medical school you could go to law school or you could work in finance Mm -hmm. and that's what you thought you would do your entire childhood as a teenager and then at university thought you were just you know preparing to go to one of those professional schools Mm -hmm. interesting thing though is in our culture you know we love artists we love musicians we have some of the most popular musical references in the world absolutely when you're in a a culture and a society that has to move and leave to Mm -hmm. you know from opportunities it would be a luxury to do any of those things Mm -hmm. So then when did you decide to break away with those kind of cultural norms, you know, of an immigrant family where you said, was it because you moved with your husband to Milan? When did that break, as it were, happen for you? It happened at law school. I have a friend, American friend, and she noticed my passion for style mm-hmm. and anything related to style. And I guess it was, to her, it was really, really obvious. And she just said to me, she would take for granted. She was like, well, why don't you just work in fashion? You seem, your spirit is in fashion. You love fashion. Did you ever think that, you know, think about working in fashion? And at that time, we were already in school. So I thought, okay, you have a, you have a point. I really do love fashion fashion but I thought I would maybe go and work for a law firm for a time and then at at, when you could leave the law firm I would just go in-house at a company like Chanel Mm -hmm. or something like that Mm -hmm. and work as legal counsel Mm -hmm. but it became once she planted that seed that idea in my head I realized soon thereafter that it wasn't that I wanted to practice law at a fashion company I just wanted to work in fashion in general you know you're at a a lawyer at a fashion company you're probably doing contracts you're not Mm -hmm. you're not really working with the clothes clothes and the fashion and where I always like to ask this question where did that original connection come from between you and fashion very early because both my mother and my aunt really loved fashion and I was like their project because here I am like the only child for my mother and my aunt's daughter died when she was an infant so Mm. my aunt is my second mother definitely Mm -hmm. and so you know what it is as new mothers like you dress your baby up all day long you comb her change hair. the outfits yeah, yeah. like three times a day yeah, yep totally did that that's where it happened and the photos so yep. they would like put me you know on the sofa prop me up or the school pictures mm-hmm. like I had no like hairline like my hair started in the middle of my head but I would have big pearl barrettes <laughs> oh my god that's crazy. <laughs> and like velvet dresses in Jamaica. <laughs> so that's where, it, I mean, it was, fashion, I mean, was always around. Me. And my aunt is 
the one that had the direct influence on me because she also she she became a an accountant but she would sew all of my dresses and it would be like an event because she was like you know she worked as an accountant but she was definitely a creative soul so like kind of like all over the place Mm -hmm. and like a little bit (laughs) a little bit like nutty like me so then give me the step by step you go all right can I get my degree in law school but in fact I'm going to go into fashion and but you don't know anybody in fashion you don't how did all the pretty birds come about I mean tell me about that that was a challenge. That was challenging because I graduated after 9-11 mm. and it was very difficult to convince any fashion company that I would, in fact, you know, change change industries, start working at an entry-level position after having done a JD MBA mm-hmm. at an entry-level fashion position. Um, already they were, you know, we were in a um, recession after mm-hmm. 9-11 and they weren't hiring young people because mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's young people because usually you start after college. So right. they were like, why would you go and do a specialty and then come and work here? You're older. Because I think I was like 26. Why would I take a salary that was way below what I could start with at a law firm mm-hmm. as a junior associate? And they just weren't convinced. It was hard to convince anybody that I would stay, stick it out at my age with my education at an entry level position so mm-hmm. nobody was really taking me serious and so I found something I went to work with Norma Kamali at her she's amazing yeah I went to work with her because I think I had a day off and I was like walking around um, Nolita and I went to work with her but she you know she has a small mm-hmm. operation yeah and I was working with her as a personal shopper. And the truth is, is that the business model was very difficult. And I remember her shop was on 56th Street. And it was quite difficult living on the salary that I had. Mm-hmm. And it was just an intense environment. Mm-hmm. So that I went to work for a hedge fund. Because, I mean, I had to pay the bills. Like, I really couldn't do it. And oh, it you caved. I caved, but it was not. I don't think it was what I wanted. Like, mm-hmm. it was in a personal position personal shopping kind of position mm-hmm. where because she has the store but then to drive more sales she has to have like a personal shopping sales team yeah. that has like a list of clients that you're like calling, calling and incessantly trying to get, yeah mm-hmm. trying to get them to come in but then so you leave that position and you go back to yes. personal fine or you go back to um, I just work as a lawyer at a hedge fund at, you worked at a hedge fund to pay yeah. the bills yeah. tell me about um what made you decide to launch a all blog the birds, all, the, uh-huh. all the pretty birds and the name first of all is kind mm-hmm. of different than anything else out there and then I guess photography I mean that not naturally came at the same time but no we'll let okay. you talk about it I hope that I was clear with the transition or like my first attempt to work into fashion but that was my first, first attempt, attempt yeah and, and with Norma it, mm-hmm. yeah and I would have stayed but I think maybe if I had started in like marketing or started with like a stylist or mm-hmm. started somewhere that wasn't for me yeah and for the struggle it wasn't, it wasn't the right fit and then went back to the hedge fund and basically after that I moved to Italy two years after that in Italy I lived there for a year to get acclimated I was living we were living between Milan and New York so the first year I didn't look for a job I just studied Italian mm-hmm. the second year I started to send my resume out and I made contact with a editor um, Luca Lanzoni I'm sure you've met him mm-hmm. in Italy mm-hmm. and at that moment he was working at glamour.it and he was basically planning out their content strategy and their content plan and so he asked me to basically he was 
was trying to see what the best thing I could do for him at the time, hmm. considering that I had just moved there, considering that I didn't really know anyone there. I didn't know all of the showrooms. So he was like, do you know how to take a picture? And I was like, do you have a camera? You know, do you want to take some pictures for us? Um, he's like, because street style, he was, he's, he's, he's a visionary. He said, street style um, is taking off and we want to start a street style column. Um, I think you probably, you have a great eye, obviously, because I did like a project that I brought to him. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I want to like, work with you. My presentation. This, yeah. is, this is my visual board. This mm-hmm. is my aesthetic. These are the things that inspire me. Mm-hmm. So I brought that to like my interview with him and he was like, you clearly have an eye. I, you know, I like your aesthetic. I love the fact that you used Polaroids. And I think he knew that imagery I could probably handle, although mm-hmm. I had no photography skills, but I did have a little Canon point and shoot. Remember mm-hmm. that silver Canon? Yep, I remember it. So he asked me to start this, help him start this column. And I did that. I went out and it was very strange in Milan at the time, because this is 2006 and mm-hmm. I'm walking around Milan. Remember how yeah. I up Milan? Remember, yeah. Like this was before the digital revolution even really it, Then touched. street style wasn't even that big either back then. Exactly. Like it was still was reasonable. Scott. Yeah, there Scott. And maybe Tommy was just coming on the scene. Exactly. And so, um, you know, there were men in suits and the women, you know, like the women were not shopping on nap yet. They Mm -hmm. weren't shopping on matches yet. Those Mm -hmm. exploded. They were in the United States. Yeah. But 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 not in Milan. Yeah. That exploded like, you know, much after it exploded elsewhere in the world. So. Because I, I really believe that the digital revolution changed the way that Italian women dress because they they were not exposed to all of those amazing brands that exist outside of the, the top brands in yeah. Italy. Yeah. You know, like the... It was a, it's a very yeah. insular community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Think about Ellery. Think yeah. about, you know, uh, Virginia P. Like, think about yeah. all these people. Regina, excuse yeah. me. P. That, that didn't exist. So there I am walking around um, taking pictures in Milan completely sophisticated completely chic people and then I was able to find some people who Uh were um, doing the most with their looks that were kind of like out of the Milanese refined box and that's how I started shooting street style Uh I worked with him and he also introduced me to some other editors who basically taught me how to Mm -hmm. write as a fashion writer Mm -hmm. and so I was working with Vogue Pelle and then he got a new job at El Italia and so he took me along with him there as a contributor I was Mm -hmm. working um, full-time for them and then he kind of just nurtured me and mentored me and kind of just taught me what I knew Mm -hmm. uh, what I know now since I had been taking all those pictures not all the pictures get published I was like well, where can I put these pictures? And then I was like, okay, I'll start a blog. At least I can publish them there and I can get even more work. I, I started the blog as a portfolio, mm-hmm. as a, you know, a portfolio that like people could see. That's why I started. And that was in 2008. And so I, so 10 years ago now. Yeah. In November 2008. And I came up with the name because, um, for two reasons. When, cause I feel all the pretty birds really, it kind of it it include it's encompassing and it, it includes everyone it mm. includes all styles mm-hmm. all um, genders all exactly, styles exactly. All. it's an inclusive yeah. kind of platform mm-hmm. and it was from the beginning because I was a, a cool hunter yeah like I was shooting like everyone and anyone there mm-hmm. wasn't like a limit to what I no one was dictating what I was shooting I was just shooting the things that mm-hmm. inspired me and also the things that I thought would inspire anyone that would ever want to read the um, L glamour mm-hmm. Or anything else. So I thought, I always knew that I had to cover as much style as possible. Mm-hmm. But specifically for the name, when I um, graduated from university before going to grad school, I worked for this amazing 
woman, her name is Luba Veland, and uh, I was an assistant and I also I spent a lot of time with her in her office and she had a, f- a really good friend in her office that would come in um, sometimes. And Luba was, Luba's, um, she's a Russian Jew, so mm-hmm. she's like super tough. She's tiny, chic, you know, um, that was like the first mm-hmm. time I ever saw that many. When I worked with her, the first time I saw that many Prada and Ferragamo um, um, pumps. Mm-hmm. Remember those pumps from the, the classic. 98, yeah. 1980? Yeah, 1998. 98. Like, she just had them lined up, and they were all the same, like, mm-hmm. loved it. So I'd be sitting in her office. Her friend would come in. One minute, she'd be on the phone with her client or something, and her brokers, her, like her brokers, and she'd be, like, yelling at them, get me this, get me that. And the next minute, her friend would walk in, and she'd look up, she'd end the call, and she'd be like, what's the matter, pretty bird? Oh. And I just thought it was super endearing between women, that tough, strong, her, her friend was also super tough. They were really boss women mm-hmm. great at their their jobs um but i, I love that you know how endearing that their relationship was and, yeah. and how um that in term of endearment yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so that that was sweet but then the other thing is the first book that i read mm-hmm. when i moved to italy when i was studying italian was seta mm-hmm. and um it talks about a a silk lord in the 1800s that travels from um, France to Japan mm-hmm. um, looking for the silkworms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, no one was traveling from France there. Yeah. And so it tells of his journey of finding the, the worms. Mm-hmm. And um, he meets this silk lord that has a, a young concubine who he's bought an aviary for. Oh. And in the aviary, he basically has put all like you know in the book it embellishes like hundreds of of exotic birds from all around the world and Mm -hmm. it's like a a crazy in italian it it basically translates to a crowd of exotic birds Mm -hmm. just kind of like you know strutting their wings and flying around and that that's that pick that image in your mind (laughs) that's exactly what we do but this is pre Pre height of um, street style as we know it now. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't in any way think. Yeah, that but it was even back then, of- I mean, to me, you got to give it to me that mm-hmm. that you were the most stylish photographer out there. I mean, you got. Is that how it happened that you ended up going in front of the camera because you're one of the you were taking photos of classically beautiful women in Milan, but in fact, you were one of the most interestingly dressed people out there at the shows. I mean, how did that switch? Where people, some of the other guys hanging out with you were like, "Why don't you stand over there and we take a photo of you?" Like, I think it just happened when I figured out how to um, layer properly and wear <laughs> the things that I wanted to wear. Okay, I think that's all. But after a while, we became you know a, a tight knit group of like photographers, and we knew each other well. So it was after a while, it was like, "Hey." I'll t- it just happened exactly how you described it. Like, come on, take this picture for me. You know, like while like we made the show to get out, yeah, let's exactly, take pictures of each other. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the pre-selfie era. Exactly. <laughs> That's how it was. Very organic. It wasn't. I didn't decide to. It's just like also, you know, season after season, taking pictures of like women who inspire you. Like at a certain point, you dress up, don't you? Dress, like you, know, I dress up when I'm going out with my girlfriends. Yeah, you know, I dress sure. up for them, for not sure. to impress them, but just because it's nice to get into the mood. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was very organic. I didn't make a decision to do it. It just happened. Well, then can you talk to me about, I mean, because this last 10 years, there has nothing been more revolutionary than the digital space and social media and all that. And how have you been adjusting all the pretty birds and and adjusting what you do to kind of evolve from that? Because you have kind of that first generation uh, bloggers, et cetera, and and how do you continue to stay relevant? How do you continue to have that reach, you know, 10 years down the road? Like, what are your kind of 
tricks of the trade or what have you been doing to kind of stay in the game? Well, um, I think, A, you have to constantly challenge yourself Mm -hmm. to move forward, to grow as a creative. So that means that as... Because you like that, you like, you call yourself a creative, not an influencer. You don't like that terminology. I think, um, I like the, the terminology I like is digital talent because Mm -hmm. I think it explains, it's more encompassing and explains the fact that today we're working, um, on all different kinds of projects. So I, you know, I can work as a photographer one day. I can work as a stylist also, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not going to style the Louis Vuitton show, but like if there's a small project someone offers me, I can probably style it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes you do... Also a model. Yeah, you've also yeah. done campaigns. Yeah. yeah, or I can work as a model. So mm-hmm. I think a digital talent is the best uh, terminology. But I think it's just challenging yourself. I think it's it's um, being very open to new technologies, to new platforms. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, yeah, we started on, you know, as bloggers. Now many of us are, um, you know, big social... Me- we have a big social media presence influencers Mm -hmm. on Instagram Mm -hmm. for example and then I think consistently just looking for what's next and and what's new and just putting your footprint there Mm -hmm. you know in case it it also takes off so you Mm kind of have to be omnipresent you have to be like everywhere you have to keep your eyes open you have to be very flexible Mm -hmm. also Um, and I think the other thing too is that you have to really work hard at maintaining your authenticity and make sure that you're like 100% yourself because I think that is the thing that will help you keep your feet on the ground the most because this we're like this this revolution is just getting the pace is getting faster and faster and faster mm-hmm. and I think in order to have any clear vision as to what you need to do next it's just like being authentic being true to yourself true to your aesthetic mm-hmm. true to your goals your objectives and then just you know like everyone else run with it but mm-hmm. at least you don't have your head cut off like mm-hmm. what is it the chicken with his head cut chicken with his head cut off yeah, exactly because yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. it's moving so fast yeah as long as you're staying you know grounded in yeah. what you're what you know yeah. um is there anything that's exciting you as far as like new new ventures new new spaces new social new something or well, we're working on we're work. I've gotten um, some new team members, and we're working on the site. And we're just working on content, and we're just re- redoing. Uh, we're just revisiting the tone of the site because yes, the site was a street style site, and then over the year, it's years, it's evolved to be a site that talks about more than street style that that provides more in depth coverage on fashion mm-hmm. that talks about culture mm-hmm. that talks about. politics Uh that talks about health and wellness Uh and um we're working on fine-tuning our offer Uh and that's exciting so do you consider your your site as like um is like a you know a lifestyle kind of a a place uh, or how would you describe it at this point i'm looking for i um everybody started to do lifestyle sites what would you what do you call um um, Um, so i'm I'm kind of i don't know if i necessarily want to use like the terminology lifestyle blog lifestyle website i'm not sure what terminology i want to use right now i know that we're talking about a lot of different things lifestyle is it's a good it's a I, I might prefer style just mm-hmm. I drop the lifestyle because yeah. I just I don't like when everybody's used a, like a terminology because they just it's because now you want to you're you want to um engage with a larger audience mm-hmm. and now you're calling yourself a lifestyle yeah this is very organic for 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 me I mean 
with all the turmoil in my country because of the act, the president, I mean, I'm, I naturally have to become an activist and talk about things outside mm -hmm. of the fashion world. So you you're know? ta you're talking about in the U.S. what's going on in the, in yeah, the U.S. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's, but I'm not going to say I'm a you know I'm lifestyle because I want to talk about those mm -hmm. things. I kind of just feel like you know as I've evolved, I've started to you know in response to our readers to talk about more things because mm -hmm. you know as you you develop um a loyal readership mm -hmm. readers that come back to you you engage with them more because you almost know them and mm -hmm. you know you're responding to their requests for more content so you start to talk about that i feel mm -hmm. like it's more organic than just calling it a lifestyle blog i mean it might it might be a lifestyle site that okay. might what it it might, it might be, be that, that but, you might have to call it but that I, yeah. I just don't want to do it because everybody else is doing but it's it. important to you to keep that because there are a lot of people out there who started with blogs who have now kind of given it over and and just are doing you know social sites as opposed to but i i really believe that it's the one thing that you control is your your blog because you know vine disappeared you never know what all of your posts on instagram might disappear if instagram somehow disappears one day you know hope to god now but you find it really important that you keep that blog and that that exists and that you don't ever that you don't ever shut that off and, and just move completely into the social media space well i fell in love with um with with fashion journalism because of writers like you huh. and I think what's nice is that to write something to challenge yourself to write something you definitely can't get that long form piece on Instagram you know mm -hmm. I think the whole process of creating a, a piece of content and publishing it is what's fun mm -hmm. you know it's fun to take a picture for Instagram but it's it's even more satisfying if you're working on like an editorial and you shoot something and, and you know, you, you follow the process from your research to actually shooting it to actually, you know, post-production mm -hmm. and then publishing it. And then you have, I don't know, eight pictures that you can just look at all the time and then like an accompanying text. Doesn't mm -hmm. that sound really exciting? Sounds very rich. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love, very engaging. love Instagram, Instagram, excuse me, and I'm addicted to Instagram as everyone else yeah. is. Um, but I also really love that long form content. I think it's Why gorgeous. do you think I'm doing this podcast? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. long form for sure, for sure. Right? Can you talk a little bit about some people who want to uh, do what you do or inspired by what you do? Like you talk about authenticity, but is there are there any kind of like concrete steps like first you need to do this and then you need to do that that you can kind of like pointers that you can kickstart them or give them some ideas of, of what, you know, learning from your mistakes or learning from what you've gone through? Definitely, because I did not have a plan or a blueprint when I started. So I think uh, the, you probably should do some um, discovery. You should explore what you want to talk about mm. and you should spend time thinking about what you're going to talk about on your platform. And mm -hmm. so you have a clear idea of who you are and what you're going to offer and the kind of audience that you're looking for to engage with. Then I think that you should definitely do some research and find the visuals that you want to use on your website. So like establish a visual ID, you mm. know, for, for your website and for um, how you'd like to communicate, because then that will help you visually create your, your own space. You mm -hmm. know? You're on your platform. Afterward, you you might want to plan. How often um, do you want to publish? You know, so that's basically planning out the site. So yeah. you can follow those steps, so, and you can find uh, references that you you um, like, and then you can look at their journey to see how they have um, emerged in the spaces that they're they're in, and then really go back and do the homework and figure out who you are. Uh -huh. It's important.
important for you, you know, not to like get too inspired by anyone. I kind of feel like it's so important that your voice is is clear mm-hmm. and strong in whatever you do. I think it was so helpful for me to um, build a little community of fellow um, digital talents. Um, in my case, when I was a street style photographer, fellow mm-hmm. photographers, because I learned a lot from them. Like I said, I didn't go to school for photography. Mm-hmm. And I had to teach myself the little I know about photography on the street. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of like asking, you know, Vicky, for the exposure, like, what do you need to do? Like, and, you know, having them kind of like, we, t- we taught each other a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I know that today with um, with digital um, influencers, bloggers, website owners, I know that you through community kind of exchange, you can figure out what everyone is doing and what you need to be doing. Do you find that people are really open and receptive when you ask for help? Because I, I find that I, anybody who has got the courage to come up and ask me for advice or for help, I think that that's already such a big step that I'm always willing to help them. Do you feel that people are really open to that? I think amongst bloggers, I think yes. Mm-hmm. I think I think that bloggers are sharing information all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know, whether it's about a new app that you can use to, you know, enhance your content in some way, or if there is a um, meetup or mm-hmm. some kind of like press day, or mm-hmm. like I think they're they're exchanging a lot of information and mm-hmm. kind of um, helping each other figure out how to navigate mm-hmm. the industry. So, okay. in terms of asking more established editors and directors, mm-hmm. I I have a lot of friends. Um, that have told me that they they would be so open if someone came up to them and asked them for advice or help. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, people who are entering the business, they should definitely not be afraid because everyone started somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and most people have had to ask for help. Well, let me ask you this then, um, and we're coming up to the end here. Um, I always believe that we learn a lot more from our failures than our successes that, you know, those, we take those as like lessons, life lessons. And I'm wondering, do you have an example of your career since you started your blog and this and your love affair with fashion? Was there a moment, something that you were working on or a a project or the blog, there was a mistake or something that didn't work and how you learn from that? Um, I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, I, all the time, like some projects, some things I'll shoot and the shoot won't come out well. A, I don't beat myself up about it. Um, B, I'll just look at what I did that day. I'll see, was it the weather? Was it the light? Um, what could I do better? Maybe I'll ask somebody about lighting in that situation. I'll follow up with the client and, you know, and also, um, be really honest. Like, look, I don't feel like that was like the best work I did and I, I wish it could have been better. Uh-huh. I feel like being honest in those, um, instances is always productive mm-hmm. and that's the thing you, it, it, there's you know failure is an, uh, an opportunity to do better the next mm-hmm. time so th- I mean those things happen like often <laughs> every three months you know what I mean they, they happen often mm-hmm. and you just you move on I mean I, like I remember when I was studying um, I would become so paralyzed from anxiety about failing. No, I suffer from like serious um, anxiety. Oh no! Because I was afraid to fail, and mm-hmm. I, I only got over it when I was just I was just tired of living in that anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I actually learned that you know uh, failure is an opportunity to actually discover do something great like mm-hmm. later in life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. After just being really tired, my friend wrote this book, The Rise. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Lewis. Uh, yeah, and she talks about how many, op- like, how many inventors, how many great writers, how many um, just 
boss people failed before they actually had their great mega successes. Yeah. Like mega, mega successes. Yeah. So they just never give up. They never give up. They keep going. And sometimes, you know, to if if I don't know if you're gonna be think of, I don't know, I can't name a great um inventor right now, but like think about like the drawing board. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many experience you have to do until you know yep when you actually get to that final that final how many drafts before you get to the final result yeah Yeah. all right so we're going to finish this off with my famous five generic fashion questions that i asked everybody so what is the one piece of clothing what's your most cherished piece of clothing that you own i think it is a i have so many (laughs) i bet you do i bet if there's one person i love um Okay, wait, can we come back to that one? Sure. Can we do it out of order? You can totally do it out of order. Okay, so next question is, what fashion trend will you never follow? I feel like I will never follow goth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see you doing that either. That's the one thing that I'm like, because I say never say never, but I I just don't see myself doing goth with like a big platform and very very dark like i just i can appreciate it yeah but i just will never never be able to pull it off exactly who is your favorite designer living or dead uh, it's phoebe philo and i guess i'm predictable (laughs) (laughs) i know you do love your celine what are you gonna do now what are you gonna do now that she's retiring phoebe oh my god I'll miss her. <laughs> I'll miss her, but you can't say I'm going to go and shop at another designer because while there are many designers from her school, um, she definitely was a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. Um, what is the one item of clothing that every woman should really like invest in? Even if you don't have a lot of money, there's that one thing that you've got to really put the money down on and spend. A great coat. A great coat? Yes. Okay, statement code. Yep. I totally agree. What is your favorite piece of clothing? My favorite piece of clothing is... There's nothing, (laughs) there's no sentimental piece or... No, there's no sentimental piece. I would say, can I just say generic? You can say whatever you want. My favorite piece of clothing would be a wide leg high waist trouser because... Um, something that Phoebe does so well. Yes, yes, and I have I have a, two pairs um, from her. But this is the thing: they give the best optical illusion. They make your legs look super, super, super long, and um, I love to wear them because then I, I wear them pl- with platforms, and I look like I'm five six and a half, and I'm all of a sudden like five eleven, and I, maybe I look six feet tall. <laughs> I like, yeah, a hundred feet tall. <laughs> um, and then the last question is: um, What do you love most about fashion? I think it can be really exciting and it, and, and it has the power to make you really happy. Mm, I agree. I agree. Tell me, thank you so much thank for taking you. the time. Really appreciate thank it. I, I'm parent, like, um, I'm in parent, what is it? Parentheses per, I go off on tangents all the time. I'm tangential. I was going to put parent, <laughs> I'm tangential. I'm like always, always so hard. No, you did great. That was amazing. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.